Welcome, everybody. I'm Sarita Ramsad, and this is the Fork Cancer Podcast. And this is actually our first episode. And we have an interview here today with Tracy Hutchinson Wallace, who is a communications consultant. She's worked in broadcast media, government, and the NGO world. She's bilingual in French and English. She's a wife and mother of two young boys. She's also, as if that was not enough, a disability advocate focusing on autism. So Tracy was actually diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer de novo in November 2020. And she's here today to actually share her story with us. So Tracy, welcome and thank you very much for doing this with me today. Of course, Sarita. Thank you so much for asking me. I was actually quite humbled and flattered. I, I don't know why, because you're a force to be reckoned with. So people keep saying, but on the inside, one never knows. Huh? <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what led up to your diagnosis to start. Uh, okay, so in October 2019, um, my convent alumni group, um, SJC Port of Spain, our fifth form class. We've been getting closer and closer and closer over the years. And we decided to do a buddy, a buddy test for um, cancer awareness that month. So we each paired up, took over the people's waiting room in TNT Cancer Society. Yeah. There were 24 of us, I think, there. Wow, you really did take it over. Yeah, we really, we really took over. Um, and that was the very first time that I had actually gone to do a, a mammogram, a test of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I was sent for, I was referred for um, further tests, but the test came back as, um, it's not that you have lumps in your breasts, it's just that you have lumpy breasts, like oh. someone your age. So, you know, I was going around shaking. <laughs> The girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that's cool. It's all good. And this was in October. This was October 2019. 2019, okay. 20. Mm-hmm. And in July, I started feeling a little bit physically off. I figured it was um, just general tiredness, the stress of the first few months of the pandemic, trying to deal with this whole new thing that was going on, um, online school, that kind of thing. Um, I also knew that I was just basically very tired from work because I worked with an NGO at the time and that is kind of exhausting. Mm-hmm. I started getting more and more tired and then we get to the first week of September, some sniffling. So my husband says, look, go get your COVID test, go and, go and get swabbed. Mm-hmm. Went, got swabbed, put on immediately, of course, at that time, you get swabbed immediate two weeks of quarantine. And I just kept feeling worse and worse and worse. The first two weeks of quarantine drifted into another two weeks of quarantine because I still wasn't feeling any better. And this uh, was just, it was very extreme fatigue? It's extreme fatigue. And then the pain began. Uh, it was just pain around my pelvis, around my waist. It felt like, it felt like a girdle, like a corset mm-hmm. of increasingly excruciating pain to the point where I couldn't walk anymore. Uh, And then I am in and out of every hospital 
between Mount Hope and Arena. Over what uh, period of time? This was from mid-September through till um, the beginning of November. The beginning of November, call the ambulance, because by now the dispatchers know my voice when I call. Really? And I say, look, um, please just take me, take me somewhere. And I told my husband, I'm not coming back until we figure out what the hell is going on. So what was the problem up to that point? Nobody knew. Um, I had done a million one tests, MRIs, CT scans. My entire body had been scanned and nothing came up. Wow. Really? Get to um, Mount Hope emergency. Having been, this would have been like Tuesday. I had already been in there on the Saturday before. And I told him, look, I, I'm not leaving here because nothing is doing anything for the pain. I can't walk. You have me on morphine. But unless I get admitted to a ward, you can't give me enough morphine to alleviate the pain. At that point, a youngster, um, a young doctor who had just started in ENE, said, okay, take me through everything that's been happening. And we're going backwards. I said, why are we going backwards? He said, because I suspect that every time people talk to you, they're asking you, when did this begin? And I think you might be missing something. Because you might be starting at a point where this did not actually begin. Yeah, okay. And so said, so done. As I'm going backwards, it was only until I told him about the um, mammogram results in October 2019 that he said, hang on, has anybody spoken to you about cancer at all? I said, no, because there's no, um, no history of it in my family at all. None whatsoever. And at that point, he said, okay, I think we're going to need to at least do a blood test and see. So all of this time they hadn't done a blood test? For you. All of this is done blood tests, but not for the cancer markers. Right, okay. Hmm. And I think that is what caused the problem. Because remember, I had I had the MRIs, I had the mammograms, and nothing showed until that point. Um, and I was warded immediately um, and then taken down to Southern Medical, again, my convent chat group, they <laughs> kind of just kidnapped me out of Mount Hope mm -hmm. to take me somewhere. They organized um, payments and insurance and all that sort of thing. And I was diagnosed and what are we? Um, it'll be exactly a, a week. Next week will be exactly a week, you, November 18th. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. November 18th, when I was diagnosed, and it came back. Hmm. Um, and at that point, it came back with breast cancer, metastatic breast cancer. It's already spread to your spine, and there's a suspicious lesion in your liver that we would want to review. And when the lesion was reviewed um, early the following year, or early this year, that was cancerous as well. So, you know, when you're going through something like this, you kind of, you have an idea that it's cancer, right? You, you know to yourself that it is something more than what they say. And initially it might be nothing, right? We came up literally in that last, um, that first two weeks of November when, um, as I said, that young doctor said, let's go, let's step 
it all the way backwards. In hindsight, of course, and thinking about everything that happened, um, I would still have been diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer because it spread so quickly. But I would have known about it earlier if we had done those blood tests and cancer markers earlier. What kind of cancer is it? What's um, what mark? Sorry, what is the kind of cancer? Uh, this uh, the CA, uh, CA one two five one fifteen C. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What your the breast cancer. cancer that you have is it hormone receptor positive? It is. It is hormone receptive. Um, it is officially um, invasive ductal carcinoma, mm-hmm. which is um, just about the most um, aggressive yeah. form. Yeah. Fortunately, it is hormone receptive, but again, because it's so invasive and so aggressive, it spread very quickly, basically within three months. So. Wow. Could you share a little bit of your mental process when this was happening? The time I was diagnosed, I was just tired of being in so much pain and being so tired and not knowing what was going on, that it was basically a relief. Um, It was a relief knowing and a relief knowing because now I could have a plan of what to do. Yes, it's stage four. So, I mean, it is terminal. There's just no no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no cure involved here. Yeah. But at least I have plans and I can start figuring out, okay, this is what I need to do. These are the options that I can have. Um, so like I said, that, that part of it has been a relief. Uh, the big C word was, it, it wasn't frightening. It wasn't scary. Um, and it wasn't that much of a shock. I think, because I was already getting to the point of making plans, but it certainly did take me aback. And I realized that I had to stop everything that I was doing and start thinking very seriously about what I'm doing with my life and living every day very intentionally. So there's no Mm -hmm. drifting going on with my life. Every day is... I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Even if the this and that is as simple as I'm going to get out of bed this morning. Hmm. Yeah. When, you, um, when yeah. you said you were able to make plans, did anybody help you with the planning? Like, did you, how were your doctors along that, that, that stage for you? Did you find that you access uh, information was easy to access? Or did you have to, because I find, and this is, my experience here in like Trinidad, unless you know what to ask, they kind of take it for granted that you would come in and be told, you know, okay, this is what it is. And this is what your treatment will be without kind of giving you any further guidance. You know, that is true. Um, I, I have, I have seen that with other patients. I have, I can't, I can't say that I've experienced it because I've nipped it in the bud early. Yeah. People yeah. have attempted to say, okay, this is what you will be doing or this is what it is. And, you know, you don't need to worry about that. 
I have never been the kind of person who went, okay, well, fine, whatever. I have always been the kind of person who wants to know, okay, you need to explain to me, don't sugarcoat it. Mm-hmm. Give me all the details because we are partners in this. You are not telling me what to do. You and I are deciding how we're going to proceed with the treatment plan. Yeah. I am lucky and I am, we hear this word a lot these days, I am privileged to have had the kind of upbringing and the kind of education and the kind of network and the kind of entourage that supports me in that way. Mm-hmm. It's not something that many people have. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I was so glad that, that you came up with the idea for this podcast, because I think through discussions like this, people who may not have, um, have those assets yeah. at their disposal will now have an idea of this is the kind of thing I should be looking for. These are the kinds of questions I should be asking. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about the actual treatment process, the first thing my doctor said was, um, okay, what is your priority? And I said, I need to get mobile. I have two young children. How old are they? Uh, Safi is 13, Alexander is seven. I said, I'm not so much thinking of, I need to be alive to see them later on. I just need to be mobile <laughs> so I can walk around. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, this is already in my spine, so what do we do about it? Um, she said immediately, radiation, you're already in a place with the radiation facilities. We're booking you for radiation for next week. Hmm. I said, what is it entail? She explained it to me, and she said, right, bam, 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 bam. Within five days of radiation, because every day for five days, within those five days, you'll be walking again because we will be dealing with your pain. We will also be working with your pain management. We're experimenting with um, whatever um, pain drugs are available. I'm on morphine. Um, I said, okay, morphine, it can't be liquid because again, I have two young children. It must be tablets. I said, okay, that means you're gonna be here a little while while we experiment with dosages. And while we look at things like um, your blood pressure and, 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 and that kind of thing. But our goal first time is to get you mobile and able to walk out. And they did that. In five days? Yeah, I was, I was oh. out of the hospital in, in um, I was out of there within 10 days. And that was because scheduling and getting the pain medication done so she could send me. I was home, I was back at work after, right? Um, oh. Then I went to St. James. Um, well, I mean, it's all sorts of names now, but People are already calling it St. James, now the Cancer Center of Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, went there almost immediately. Fortunately, it was just before Christmas. So yeah. they were beginning to wind down, which meant that they had time to sit with me and talk through chemotherapy options and surgery. Yeah. So they were able to book me in for chemo almost immediately. Because I remember seeing you there at the end of last year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, we were there and the first time that I went in and I was waiting to see the doctors to talk about what my chemo regimen would be, that was when um, you and I met as Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that, that, was, that was great that I was able to get that kind of um, response from, I mean, you know, Sarita, people 
there is a lot to say about the public health care system and it is all valid but in terms of the way St. James handles um, their patients, the people there are determined to make sure that the patients get the best possible support they can. Yeah, I, I, I found so too. I, I find so because I, yeah. yeah, especially in COVID. Especially. Especially dealing with that kind of, of challenge. Right. Yeah. Um, so they, the, the only thing that I, I find disconcerting, and I'm sure other people find disconcerting as well, um, is that you never know which doctor you're going to see mm -hmm. when you go there. You are assigned a particular consultant, but you can literally see anybody when you go in. And mm -hmm. it is a real challenge getting some kind of continuity of care and understanding what um, what happened, what is happening, and what's going to happen next. Yeah, and that's why I find it so important that you take an active role in your own treatment and that you have an idea of what it is you need to get, what your drugs are, what your regimen is, sure. your treatment protocol. Mm -hmm. Because when that file goes to a doctor that never saw you before, right. you have to be able to point them in that direction and say, okay, this is what Dr. X said, mm -hmm. and this is what I'm supposed to do. Correct. And, you know, you, you cut through the, the getting to know your phase right. again, right? And, you, you know, I mean, because people make mistakes and people overlook things mm -hmm. in files all the time. I think some of the overlooking is because there are so many people that they have to yeah. treat and there are so yeah. many people that treat. Yeah. Um, you, you know the, the process. You walk in, you sit down, and they start going through, um, like, your blood records. Mm -hmm. And I asked at one point, why do you have to look through each thing? Isn't there some sort of trending graph or something that can be done? And they've told me, yes, there actually is that functionality within the data um, processing um, program within the application, but we simply don't have the time <laughs> to get it done and to look at it properly. Um, but I mean, they, they, do, they do consult with each other a lot. What I love about them is, you know, you always hear that, that doctors behave as if they know it all and it's all there in their heads and, and, you know, you can rely on that. The doctors there have no issues at all about calling in their colleagues yeah. or instant consultations. They have no problems about calling people on their days off. I, I found that as well. And I find that really also very, very commendable yeah so reassuring because you really do feel that there are people who are trying to help yeah. you and are working yeah and there's there's no there's no feeling like that um going out of my treatment well of course i've had um i've had my first sets of chemotherapy uh that was just to try to slow down the growth of the cancer get a handle on the tumor what drugs were those? The hormone therapy drugs? Um, no, well, this was the, the main um, chemo with Taxol and the, the right. really harsh the systematic ones. Um, I've had a of CT scans, uh, MRIs to see exactly where, how my cancer is growing. 
Um, and from that, we determined that surgery simply is not an option right. for me yeah. because of the size of my tumor, um, which is why we went to hormone therapy. Mm-hmm. Because the chemo did what it's supposed to do, kind of stopped it growing in its tracks. Yeah. The hormone therapy is now to get it to die off as much as possible and maintain a, a sense of um, disease stabilization. Right. Okay. Which is really what gives me um, longevity. And that is what we want. That's what we're all about right now. Exactly. And quality of life. So the hormone therapy bit, because it's not as harsh as the regular chemotherapy, um, that gives me more quality of life. What kind of side so. effects did you have from your treatment so far? Uh, I am I am one of the right. So you know that all these things are a bell curve, right? Mm-hmm. And most people are in the middle of the bell. I'm the person on the edges, <laughs> and I'm on the far edge with the really really harsh. Oh, sorry. Oh my god. So twenty four seven nausea, twenty four seven vomiting. And um, this was at the start with the tucks all and stuff, yeah. From the very very beginning, from January seven. I, I have, I've been nauseous, nauseated, and vomiting since January 7th. Wow, that is yeah. rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven months, seven months. So I mean, still, I know, so still have nausea? Like yeah, still do. Oh, with Tracy. With yeah, well, it is what it is. Well, you don't it look, is. you're not looking, so if that is any consolation. It actually isn't, and I'll tell you why. Um, and it, this is this is something that um, people in your audience who have to deal with particularly metastatic breast cancer and the novel breast cancer, this is something you have to deal with. Not looking sick. You yeah. look good. You look mm-hmm. fine. You don't look sick. People don't believe you until you're literally falling down or fainting mm-hmm. or throwing up in mm-hmm. front of them. Good point. And now with... Um, as, as somebody pointed out to me, with the pandemic, nobody can go to the hairdresser, so everybody's doing yeah. shortcuts. Many people in my ambit just thought, oh, okay, you're trying the shortcuts again. You took out the braids. They didn't realize it's cancer couture. Exactly. Cancer couture. Yep. Exactly. Um, so that, that's, that is something that's difficult to deal with because... It's hard enough for people to know yeah. what to do or what to say. It's even more difficult for them if you actually don't look sick enough to quote-unquote need any kind of support, emotional or otherwise. Could you talk me through a couple of the conversations you would have had with people? Like, How hard was it for you to talk about the fact that you were diagnosed with metastatic cancer, de novo, to your friends, to your family? Not your kids yet, because that is a separate thing I want to talk to you about after. But um, Friends and family, as I said, I was just relieved that I knew. So I just, I wrote to everyone. Um, I'm trying to remember now how many people actually spoke to and told. I think maybe I spoke to two people. And those two people weren't members of my family. Everybody else I wrote to. Um, and the, the paragraph or two basically was, this is what's been going on. I've not been diagnosed. These are the plans going forward. And yes, it's hard, but I haven't changed. 
I'm still the exact same person you always knew. So we're going to go down the road talking to me and talking about me in exactly the same way. Um, brusque, no holes barred, no apologies, plain talk, bad manners, who bets less. Did you find it was easier for people to cope with the no? The- I think so, and people have said so, that, that it's been easier for them to talk to me and to deal with it. I mean, yes, there have been um, tears on both sides of the occasion. It's really hard on my parents because they're in their 80s and not in the best of health. So they sincerely didn't expect to hear this. And I mean, especially something like de novo um, metastatic, where you have a one in four, when you have a one in four chance of living the first year. And living each successive year after that only goes up like by two percentage points. Yeah, because I know right now it's about 40% survival for the first five years. I think as you presented. Um, yeah, and, and even that, even that they're saying don't really look at um, a five-year um, yeah. prognosis because those um, those stats are skewed depending on where you come from, um, where the stats were developed, mm-hmm. and even how people actually actually die. What did they actually die right. of? Because those stats inevitably also include whatever kills you, whether or not it was actually something to do okay. with cancer. Good to know, I didn't know that. Um, so, yeah. so the one in four thing is, is basically it. So um, that that was difficult for them, for my parents as well. Yeah. You have any siblings? Uh, I have, yeah, two, two younger brothers. They have been um, supportive as well. We haven't had as many conversations about it, again, because of the pandemic. So they couldn't come to see me anyway. I can't really go to see them either because, you know, they've got young children. Friends yeah. from school have been supportive, but I know it has also been hard for them um, because I'm one of the, I'm the youngest person in the class. And, and also because I have such young children. I mean, many of these girls are already grandparents. Right. So walking this journey with me, knowing that I still have young children. Yeah they are flashing back to what would it be like if we're in that position. Um, and I know that is, that's a bit of a trial for them as well. But I mean, in spite of it, like I said, they've been mm-hmm. super supportive um, of, of me, of, of the boys. Um, but I mean, speaking of the boys, they know. Do they understand that as a result of you speaking to them about it? Or did they have an idea of it from before? They understand intellectually about death and cancer. The older one understands because he's quite brilliant and people were talking around him. So he went and looked it up. That is something I was always very cognizant of. Have you had to manage conversations around your children, like conversations other people would have around your kids? And I have deliberately not, not done that. I told them be sensitive too, but don't, don't lie. Um, right. don't sugarcoat it. Just be sensitive and be gentle. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, again, using that word, lucky, privileged enough to have a couple of friends, um, therapists who are friends first. Right. Um, and 
therapists who have been through this same situation with their children um, and with their families. So they are in a position to give my children the support that they need. Did you seek out their help to talk to them in the first place or did you speak to your kids on your own? They jumped in immediately. I didn't have to ask for anything. The moment they heard, the moment they they literally reached out. Um, the two of them, they came to see me um, and said, the reason we're here to see you is this. We are spoken together. We understand what's going on. And we are telling you that whatever happens, your children will be okay. That's not something that you will ever need to worry about. We are going to make sure that your children are fine. And they have lived that out and they have walked that journey with us. And they're continuing to walk that journey with us. So, I mean, in, in that sense, um, I that's a, 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 a load yeah. I don't have to worry about. It's incredible. Yeah. The friends. It's good yeah. to have friends like that. It's really, it, it, it's good to have friends like that. But I mean, even if you don't, there are kind of resources out there that help you. Um, there's this one website in particular, which I use, which took me through the process of planning my funeral. Um, I mean, from choosing music and whether or not I want flowers and do I want a headstone or, or do I just want donations, that kind of thing. And it gave me the opportunity to basically tag um, people in my entourage in so that yeah. they, know, they, can see it. they can see now, they can start thinking about it. Many of them have actually given me feedback. Would you like this? Does this make more sense? Is this actually practical? Tracy, think about how this will look um, to your parents or your siblings later. I mean, it might be something that you want, but remember the funeral is also there to help people manage their grief. So while you might want a particular thing, yeah. is that actually going to help them? And that has been really great for me as well. I remember speaking to you months ago. Mm -hmm. I think it was the weekend you were going to do your will. And you yeah. were planning out your will. Uh, yeah. Did you, was the funeral process after that? Or what, did it all happen at the same time? Like, you know, you were planning for end of life around the same time. End of life planning. Um, for the end of planning. Uh, I, it's, I think it's called um, Just Cake, justcake.com. It's a website. Like that. It's, it's a free website. It's a free website. Um, and it literally does take you through everything. Um, including um, investments. Um, it takes you to financial structure. It takes you through, if you have children, what do you want their lives to look like afterwards? What kind of legacy would you like to leave? What kinds of things do you want to share with people um, before, during, after? Um, of course, everything's in the cloud. Yeah. So everybody can access it. Everybody needs to can access it. And it's always a work in progress. So it's current up until the last time you look at it. When, you, when you're speaking of like finances and wills, mm -hmm. have you had, because most things are geared towards North America or Europe, yeah? Mm -hmm. Have you had to seek professional help here from like lawyers or, or financial planners locally to kind of had what would be available elsewhere um, for local, to tailor it for local use? Well, here's the thing. 
we have special circumstances. Because my older boy is autistic, the young one has um, speech apraxia, which means that basically from the moment they were born, my husband and I have been planning for in case because we needed to make sure if we had investments or insurance or whatever it is in place to help take care of the boys if we passed away before they became, before they become adults. Just as a matter of course, because of the disability aspects of our life. So that was kind of already in place. Right. Um, because we don't have the legislation and the, um, the real culture here of planning for things like guardianships and trusts, I have had to look at examples that are available in the US and I have asked a couple of um, lawyer friends here to look at them and see how I can lock things down um, as much as possible. Part of the reason I did that is also because of where I used to work, um, yeah. where because it was a place that involved land and families, I discovered at that point that, um, for instance, it's not possible for people who are disabled to really use the, the government-supported housing um, services in order to build a house or provide, provide housing for themselves. It's not possible for them to do it because of the laws and legislation that's in place. So even before the cancer, I had to start looking at how can I make sure that any land that we have is held properly in trust mm. and that the trust is set up so that the boys are supported um, and they are taken care of and that we don't have that, you know, the, the usual horrible scenario you hear about being taken advantage of and, and anything else. So these are all things that I had to think about. And there are actually things that I, I now advise yeah. people to do as a matter of course. It's yeah. not something you need to wait, yeah. for, wait for cancer <laughs> or wait for a terminal illness to do. These are things that you need to think of anyway. Yes, the legislation is in place. Yes, the culture is in place. Yeah. But there are enough good examples out there that you can find. And there are enough um, good lawyers in the country who can help you to adjust and adapt and make models that will suit your circumstances for your family. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is a, a lot of advice in a really short time, Boy Tracy. With respect to end-of-life planning, have you, I, I don't know much about palliative care or hospice care, but is that something that you've had to research as well and to consider? Yeah, it, it is. Um, especially when I realized that this thing had moved to my spine and my liver, um, which means that end-of-life probably won't be quick um, and it probably won't be pretty. So I need to, to consider those aspects now. I had to start thinking very hard and begin to have conversations about um, extraordinary measures, about things like do not resuscitate. Is that something that we could do here? 
uh, that is legally binding? It's not legally binding. I was wondering about a, like a living will. It's yeah. not legally binding. It's something where you need to, to be very aware of what is available and what the facilities that you are looking at will allow. There are a couple of facilities that say upfront, okay, when you come here to us, we acknowledge that it's end of life, so there will not be any extra measures. So they respect the wishes. Our purpose here is to make sure that you have quality of life as long as possible, whatever that quality of life looks like to you, whether it's pain-free or, or, or whatever. So these are things that, that I have had to look at, especially as I don't deal very well with pain. Um, no. So yeah. <laughs> I know already I mean. that... I, I'm going to need to have a facility that will let me manage my, that's not going to leave the hands of someone else. Um, it's still a work in progress. I will say this, I mean, as we're talking about advice, know yourself, know what you can deal with, know what your breaking point is, know what your, um, know what your last straw is and start having the conversations with the people around you to let them understand that this is, this is the line and I'm going no further than this. So that, for instance, if you're talking about something like pain management, whatever is available that will alleviate my pain, I will be using. There may be questions about legality, maybe at some point, but this is what my priority is because my quality of life depends yeah. on being pain free. It may not be something that you, whoever I'm talking to, you may not share my views on it, but you need to respect my position in this and honor my yeah. position in this. I think that's something that, that people in our position um, need to make very clear with their entourage about everything. You may not agree yeah. with my position, but you must respect it. Otherwise, why are you here? It's your purpose in my yeah. journey. Because it's my journey. Yeah. It is, as I said. Yeah. And that, that's the thing. Yeah. It is. I mean, and I know I've spoken to people who find it difficult to balance what they want with what the loved ones might want. And to have the conversations with, um, okay, this is what I want for my end of life, mm -hmm. but I don't want to have the conversation with the loved ones because they don't want to pressure them and make them feel like depressed, I guess. You know, they don't want to sadden their loved ones before time. And it's a really hard, I think it's a really fine line you have to thread mm -hmm. being able to plan yeah. because cancer takes things away from you, right? It takes so much away and it's, important for you to keep as much control Correct. over what you could as you can right and to have to to take the control where you could while being cognizant if you, that is you know something that matters of how your loved ones feel right and it's I, to me that is just i personally would find it more easy to be militant on my behalf like you know no this is what i want and if you don't like it well i, I can't help you because this is i need this mm. moving forward it is but it is very difficult um 
like like you, I I'm I'm a little like you, I think, in that respect, that I have no problem saying this is what I want. And if you don't like it, tough step to the mm-hmm. side. I will say that for me, my biggest, um, my most important um, priority after me being okay is are the boys okay? Yeah. Because as far as I'm concerned, everybody else is an adult. They can handle themselves. They need yeah. to handle themselves on their time away from me. It sounds harsh because that is not how society has encouraged us to be especially for women especially yeah. for women we're supposed to be nurturing and thinking about everybody else and being all self-sacrificing and that's great that's fine that's wonderful if it works for you mm-hmm. in this particular instance it doesn't work for me it used to work for me before it no longer serves me now and because you don't have the luxury of time exactly Sarita exactly we don't have the luxury of time and this is the one point where we can happily without regrets give ourselves permission to say this is about me yeah and i'm sorry if you can't handle it or deal with the me that is now but this is how it's going to be and no, I am no wrong, no, no harm, no foul. Mm-hmm. It's cool. It's, I'm not gonna hate you. I'm not gonna cut you off or anything like that. Just understand that this is the road I'm traveling. Yeah. Feel free to come along with me. But I am, I am mapping the route. Yeah. Did you? I know your friends came when you gave them the news. The therapist friends you have. Yeah. And they came rallying around you but did you seek out their support as therapists I, to help you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. we're all in therapy all so that was from the start yeah the boys and yeah boys myself we're all in therapy um because it, it's it's necessary as i said it's important to me that the boys are okay my oldest son in particular he because he understands, in essence, what this means, he has now become far more protective of his younger brother. Um, he is looking out for him a lot more, mm-hmm. um, which is great to see. <laughs> I think yeah. all, you know, all parents love to see that, but it still breaks my heart that yeah. he has to do that. Um, and that's why I try very hard to make sure that they are fine and why I have much less, it's not I have less patience, but I, I won't cut adults that much slack. Yeah. Because you're adults. You've been here long enough. You know where to get help if you need help. Mm-hmm. The kids just got here. So yeah. they have to be my priority. Do you feel able to talk a little bit about how you spoke to your kids about it? Very matter of fact. Um, mommy has a disease, it's called cancer. 
um, I have to do all kinds of um, tests. I have to take a lot of medication. I have to go to see the doctor very frequently. The younger one was, um, he didn't really deal with it very well in the beginning, partly because he would go to sleep at night and wake up and I would be gone because I had to take an ambulance and go to the hospital at some point because of yeah. pain or whatever. Yeah. And because it was COVID, he couldn't come and see me and I couldn't come back, right? Um, then to his experience of hospitals has always been, I go to the hospital, I get medication, I get better. Yay. So, I mean, what's wrong with your doctors? Because you're going to the hospital and you're not getting better. <laughs> what's up with that? Yeah. Um, now he realizes that it's a fairly long-term thing and that it will take some time. Um, he is very clear about asking what's happening. Is this working? Are you getting better? That sort of thing. Um, the older one, of course, understands fully what's going on. I, I monitor his, his internet search searches, of course. Yeah. Um, so I see what he's looking at. I see what he's looking up. I see what he's looking at on YouTube. Hmm. And, you know, he's been researching funerals. Yes, that is so heartbreaking. Sort of thing. Um, but kids, so, you know, that... That, that's a reality. Like my little niece is eight and her mother had breast cancer. I have breast cancer. And she's she's saying to me, I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna get this at some point. Because yeah. you had it, mom had it, grandma had it. Yeah. And because her mother, her, her grandmother on her mother's side had it. And I mean, she's eight. You know, it's just it's just not right that this is a reality. I mean, it is a reality, but it's just not. It's, it's, not fair. It's, not, it's not fair. Yeah. Not fair. It's not fair. I mean, I'm glad that he he is able to at least get the information. Because again, he's a lot like me. Information yeah. helps him. Yeah. He hates not knowing. Yeah. At least he knows and he can understand. He can look and see this is what works. This this is working. This is not working. So, you know, that part of it's fine. But um the and this is the part that's hard the the grieving which starts from now anticipatory grieving yeah i mean it, it's not the same it's not the same if you've been diagnosed with you know stage one or stage two oh. because then you can talk about things like after um, treatment or, or cure yeah. but i mean there's no such thing yeah um and that, that's also difficult for, for adults to comprehend yeah. as well, much less children. You know, how long are your treatments going to last? Forever. Until working until, yeah, until yeah. the end. Yeah. You know, um, but, you know, even, even within all of that, um, there's still good things that have come out of this, I'll tell you. Again, like I said earlier, the commitment to myself to live with intention. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, if 
if 2020 and the whole pandemic had not taught us that before. Yeah. yeah. Then clearly this cancer thing has told me, hey, you need to change. Check yourself. Yeah. Check yourself. Yeah. Check yourself. And that has been a gift, really. Honestly, it's been yeah. a gift. Yeah. So. Have you continued to work at all? Ah, no, no. I wanted to, I mean, in terms of full-time work, I wanted to, but that didn't really work out. Um, not for lack of trying on my part. That was something that, you know, so was, it was a, a limitation on the employer side? Yeah, they, they, there were some limitations on their side. Um, but... Again, thank goodness, because of the pandemic. Yeah. Remote work yeah. is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very useful thing. And it, it forces you into your little bubble where you have time to spend. Yeah. And where I can pace myself and I, I can I can do things according to how um according to how I feel and get things done. Yeah. I take time when I need to. It's, it's still not ideal because it's pretty alien to most of the Trinidad to Yeah. But at least it's something that can be done. Um, the most difficult, well, the most trying part really um, has been dealing with things like NIB and invalidity benefits and all those applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very slow process. It's a tedious process. You really do need to have some kind of financial support or backup. Yeah. We are doing everything through public because I simply can't afford um, yeah. it. And, and even going through the public system is a little costly. I mean, right now, um, here we are, what, November? 2021, there are issues with getting medication. Yeah. And that's something that everybody um, on the planet really is dealing with. It's, it's a supply chain issue. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, and I'm, I'm glad um, you remind me of that. There's something that people need to be very much aware of when we're talking about cancer. The pandemic wrecked um, cancer statistics and cancer treatment yes. and cancer research directed yeah. completely because the kind of intense and concentrated um, attention that you need to deal with cancers of all kinds mm-hmm. has been spread out and yeah. frittered away on COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And it has affected people getting trials, trials being developed getting into trials, people getting treatment, people getting surgeries. Yeah, so that is actually something that I was I was curious about. Are there mm-hmm. trials here available to patients? No, not really. I didn't not. think so because I've been... I have a couple of friends who um, that's, that's something that they are specifically doing. As part, like, like you said, there, there are friends who said, okay, we're going to take care of your children's emotional and psychological well-being 
-hmm. I have other friends who are focused specifically on doing my research for me. Clinical trials and stuff, yeah. I know yeah. where are the clinical trials, what mm -hmm. is available, and for the most part, no, there's nothing here. No, I know. You it's have to hope yeah. and pray that there's something that will accept internationals. Yeah. And that your profile will fit. Yeah. Because you and have layers. So. Yeah. And then the yeah. logistics of getting the, the trial medication will work yeah. for you. Yeah. You know, um, that that doesn't exist. Oh, one of our biggest problems here really is surgeries. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you say that it's it's a pandemic, so you can't have elective surgery, the basic, if I'm not mistaken, definition of elective surgery is you're not gonna die within the next couple of weeks, so we can put it off. Mm -hmm. But it's cancer we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, even even in something a place like the UK, I remember reading this story very, very early on where a woman with the same kind of cancer that I have, her, her chemotherapy was put off for 12 weeks and she was dead within those 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it's the same time in Iris. Yeah. Yeah, no, that COVID really has totally skewed everything. Everything. Like, I'm waiting to cut my other breast off, mm -hmm. but I have to wait until. And I understand that. I understand that this is now elective, right? Because I want to take it off. Mm -hmm. But I have to wait until the backlog of actual emergency cases is, is cleared, right? That's fine. But. Yeah. You still have all these people being relegated, like all the nurses and stuff going off to COVID wards because that's mm -hmm. where they're putting them. Yeah. And you go in there and you have like bare bones stuff trying to hold down a fort of 30 something, mm -hmm. 40 something people at a time in the chemo ward. Yeah, yeah. And that can't, that's not good for the patients. It's not good for the staff. It's benefiting no one, no yeah. one at all. That is a real, real worry that. Yeah. that we have to deal with. Yeah. We simply have to deal with. I mean, again, I mean, I can't, I literally can't thank um, Cancer Center enough for the way they've been trying to handle yeah. this. And of course, not just them, but the various oncologists and, and radiation oncologists and yep. surgeons throughout the country who've been trying to support the cancer communities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they've really been doing a great deal. Um, here and abroad. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky I, I have support here. I've got an oncologist who's taken on my case. I mean, she's trying to have it and she's taken on my case, but she lives abroad. Right. Um, she's been able to recommend really good people to me here. And there's this team that's working on it, but it's hard. It's, yeah. it's really hard to get everything done. And of course, it's too expensive. Exactly. Even if, if you it couldn't through St. James, yeah. you're talking thousands of dollars for one month of pills. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, the whole I'm on now, I could conceivably be on them for ten years if I'm lucky. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, yes, it will be ten years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty. Yeah. We'll have this conversation in twenty years. <laughs> twenty forty. I'm telling you. When we all well, like, you know, the hair drop out for real. Speaking, instead mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be great. I know um, I'm hearing your sons in the background, and I know you're probably pressed for time, right? Is there anything? Well, you... I'm not pressed for time, but 
sorry. You are yes. I'm, no, yeah, for real. I, Press for time, time. I, I will say that, um, yes, I am a lot more um, inclined to go out and play. Flash around in those mud <laughs> puddles, puddles. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ride around on their bike. Watch them ride around yeah. on their bikes. Um, but, I mean, it, it's, it's really important that we have conversations like this and that we bring them out into the open because people aren't talking enough, I think, about yeah. them. Um, and I, have, I, I don't give people wrong for not being able to talk about certain things openly because you, mean, you don't have my circumstances, I don't have yours. Exactly. But I'm hoping that our conversations and the conversations that you will have um, in this podcast going down the road, I'm really hoping that people will will listen to them, will take heart, will take advice, and and will basically try to live their best lives with the camp. I will I will remember though um, in closing that uh, a friend of mine when when she heard she called me and she said, well yeah my father my father had has cancer as well. Um, we went back to our home country to be treated. And what they said there was, um, yes, it's just cancer. It's like diabetes you manage it. or hypertension. It's something that you have a plan. And you manage it. You work the plan, you manage it, and you live your life. Hmm. I never thought about it because like that. You could, yeah, you could get hit by a bus. Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> not pay attention as you cross the bus yeah. and get hit by a maxi. Yeah, it's true. Live your life. Live your life. Words of wisdom. And I totally agree. Live it. Tracy, thank you very much. This was amazing. I can't believe we spoke for one hour and seven minutes. Wow. And I was worried, but I would be like, oh my God, I have nothing to ask Tracy. Lord have mercy. 10 minutes. Please give me 10 minutes, God. But you see, one hour and seven minutes later. So this has been a brilliant conversation. It, it really has helped. Um, like I was telling you, um, because it will be a year in a couple of days, um, this, this has been a really good conversation to have uh, for me to think about what's happened in the last year, what I've experienced, where I've come from, and plan where I'm going in the next year. Yeah, yeah. this is brilliant. Thank you really so good. much for being here. I'm going to ask you to Thank share you. the websites and stuff and whatever resources you have. Yeah. And I'll share and it. Yeah, on your notes. Thank <laughs> you, Tracy. <Mwah. laughs> Thanks again. Thank you again. All righty. So, Take All care. Right. Bye-bye.